0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and
1: Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham.
0: is the season for less brooding it's episode 497 of the down and nerdy podcast i'm james Witham, and yes merry little batman is now streaming on a prime video it is a very very different batman movie for the holiday season and i just happen to have director mike roth with me this week to tell you a little bit more about it maybe you're on the fence like should i watch this should i not is it just a kid thing well let's go ahead and ask mike his opinion since he is the director after all I think he'd probably have the best insight into this thing. Also, I want to talk about Frasier. You know, the Frasier re... re- not Well, it's not a reboot. It's a continuation, really. With The new Frazier series from Paramount Plus, that has ended its first season, so I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into that, especially into the finale that just aired recently. Also, some super interesting nerd news to talk about. Well, you know, the whole E3 thing, not really a surprise, but James Gunn had some interesting things to say. This week, there's some very cool trailers to talk about as well. A new Marvel series has been announced and one Marvel movie that might be in a little bit of trouble and some surprising news from the toy world that I really wanted to get to as well. But I also want to say I know that, you know, the podcasts haven't been coming out as consistently as they have been. I mean, the the full disclosure, there's been a lot of sickness in my family. So we've been trying to manage that a little bit. And because of that, it's not really quiet around here. And the opportunities to actually, you know, not have screaming children in the background while I'm trying to do the podcast is something that, you know, I'm trying to avoid for you guys. But you know what? We're here now. That's all that matters. Let's get to it. Let's talk about Merry Little Batman, director Mike Roth. Do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This could be the year you start a new holiday tradition. Merry Little Batman is now streaming on Prime Video. And yes, it's pretty much exactly what you would expect. It is a Batman Christmas animated movie. And I got a chance to sit down with director Mike Roth to get a little bit of insight into this thing, in case you're wondering, in case you're maybe on the fence, not sure, ah, should I stream this or not? Is it okay for my kids? All that stuff. So here's my conversation with Merry Little Batman director Mike Roth. Mike, how's it going, man?
2: How are you? I love the Good, post.
0: man. Thank you, thank. You. Well, I mean, think about it. You they tell you you get to do a Batman movie, you get to do a Christmas movie. Is this like the best of both worlds or what?
2: Yeah, hundred percent, a, a thousand percent. That's exactly right. I mean, to make Batman, like sometimes it's like, oh, you got to pinch yourself and make sure, <laughs> you know, make sure it's real. And then, you know, to work on a Christmas project um, is a really special thing to do, right? If it's done right, the hope is that it's a perennial project that people come back to and return to every year. We've all grown up with those types of projects, you know, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Christmas Story, what have you. So to have the opportunity to possibly build a project like that was really special.
0: No doubt. Talk about your your main cast, too, by the way. You've got Jonas, you've got Luke. Is the, It just seemed like, for what you were going for tonally, were they the perfect choices for for Batman and Damien?
2: Oh, 100%. I don't even... I don't know I could... I don't know if i could picture anyone else doing those voices you know for batman it was a tricky one because you know again he's got 90 years worth of history there's a lot of expectations of what batman is and what you expect him to be usually he's very brooding he's got this dark voice you know but you know we wanted to turn that spotlight to bruce being a dad right and so and also arbors like we lean into the humor a little bit you know what i mean so we needed to, we needed something, we needed someone who could bring that warmth and bring that comedy. And we're just so fortunate to have Luke do it. And he nailed it. Like one of my favorite lines that that Luke did is he, where he goes, you know, stop your, bro- stop your brooding, Brucey. Don't go there, Brucey. He added that, <laughs> it's just so funny. And it wasn't in the script and it just made that moment. And it, it's so touching. It says so much about the character. And then Jonas, yeah, I mean, what an amazing find. I mean, he is Damien. When he he came into the recording, I mean, he just has the exact same energy. And and that's just how he is all the time. And just he was perfect for it. He gave us everything we needed in that role. He embodied it so much.
0: Talk about your character designs for a second to us, especially for the villains, because I feel like you gave us something very different and larger than life. Talk about how you kind of settled on those character designs, especially for Joker, which I think is really good. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, a lot of those character designs were done by our art director, Guillaume Fesquet. He's absolutely brilliant. He's a great, great, great designer. So how did we land on that? So for us, we very much wanted uh, Christmas to drive the story, right? So we kind of began there. It's like, it's not just another Batman project. Ours is a Christmas Batman project and and Christmas is the thrust of everything. So so how do we achieve that with Batman, right? Because Christmas is wholesome and, and bright and festive. And Batman's like dark and gritty and broody. You know, <laughs> like no doubt. So we kind of arrived at this idea of like, we looked at Ron Searle sketches as an inspiration because his sketches are both kind of gritty, but they're also very comical. And we also looked a lot at like picture books and like, you know, Charles Dickens like Charles Dickens stories and just, you know, Christmas storybooks. And so that kind of brought us to like this monochromatic color th- theme right which which kind of gave us this like illustrative quality to it because we wanted it almost like you're you're turning through a page of a picture book you know so yeah that, that was the, the main driving force also for us our gotham's a little different because crime's all cleaned up and everybody's a little bit older right bruce is a little bit older our villain's a little bit older penguin drives around in a rascal <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that also informed a lot of stuff for us as well.
0: We'll get your festive feelings going on Prime Video. Merry Little Batman now streaming on Prime Video and see what this guy cooked up for you. Michael Raw, thank you so much, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You can tell that Mike put a lot of heart and soul into this thing too when you hear him talk about it. It's just the the glowing really comes out. In his words doesn't. And and quite frankly, and I want to give a little bit of a review of this thing since it was a little bit of a short conversation. So I want to keep the conversation going a little bit here. And that one of the things I loved about this is that to me, all pressure was off. All expectations were off because this was very much a non-canon type thing that they went out and did and just tried to make a fun Christmas animated movie that had you know, obviously there's connections to canon and things there, right? There there's certain things that are always going to be there, but at the same time, Alfred's very different. It is a very different Batman. This is the nicest Damien that we've ever had, in any in any way, shape, or form, in any in anything Batman. This is the nicest Damien that we've ever had because usually he's a, he's a spoiled little brat and that just likes to you know punch everything, but that is not this Damien. It's kind of refreshing to see a different kind of Damien. But one of the other things I'm trying to get at here is, is that this is clearly, to me anyway, this is my opinion, clearly made for kids first, everybody else after the fact, right? That doesn't mean as an adult you can't enjoy it. There were a lot of parts of this that I really enjoyed. And visually, it just looks so different. It has that almost look of like the tick right? that the, the the Batman character design reminded me so much of the original Tick animated series. And there's some other winks and nods to certain animation styles here and there throughout as well. But the character designs are so different. Like Poison Ivy, we see her as different. The Joker is completely 100% different in this thing. And you're either love going to love it or you're going to hate it. But And, and it's certainly a, a different animation style than I think a lot of us are used to when it comes to Batman projects. And guess what? That's not necessarily... A bad thing because if you're going to break the mold anyway, you might as well shatter it, right? And this movie shows you and presents to you that it is going to be a completely different thing. This is a thing that is not like something that you've seen in the Batman realm before. So if you're going into it, like Mike was saying, thinking this is going to be a dark brooding Batman type thing, it's really not. It's almost the opposite of that quite frankly. So if you're going into this with certain high set of expectations of this having to be a certain Batman a certain way, flush that immediately. I mean, flush it. There's no need to even take yourself down that road because that's not what this movie is trying to do, and that's not what this movie's about at all. And by the way, that's not a bad thing at all. So will this become another, a, a new holiday tradition? I don't know. I still think there's going to be A a large contingent of you're either going to love this or you're going to hate it, sort of thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. This isn't going to be for everybody, but is this a Batman thing that you could sit down, watch with your kids, watch with your family, and everybody's going to probably get some enjoyment out of it? I think so, and especially for younger kids. Like I think my four year old is really going to love this, and I'm real—I can't wait to actually show this to him and see what he thinks about it. So, Merry Little Batman now streaming. On Prime Video, again, just a fun, animated Batman holiday movie that you get a chance to enjoy. And it's something outside of the norm in the Batman realm, too. And I think that that's really cool. Again, I want to thank director Michael Roth for joining me to talk about Merry Little Batman, which is now streaming on Prime Video. Up next... Going to talk about some reviews. Yeah, going to dive into a couple of different things, actually. We'll talk about, first, the Fraser Revival series on Paramount+. Plus. Yes, season one is over. Yes, I'm going to give you some spoiler-ish thoughts on what I thought of the finale and the season as a whole. Do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is Summer Bishel from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Another season in the books for the Crane family. The Fraser. I guess continuation series is what I can call it from Paramount plus has wrapped up its first season. I want to give you my review of kind of like the back half of the season or or the season as a whole. And I might drop some spoilers here. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, you should just be aware of that before I get into the spoilers. I'll go ahead and let you know that I enjoyed this season. I thought they did a really good job for what they were trying to accomplish. Yes, it is different from the original iteration, a Fraser, you had to expect that going in and if you do expect that going in then I think you'll enjoy this season so that's the spoiler free portion of things just to kind of put it out there and just to kind of let you know if you haven't watched it yet and you've been on the fence give it a shot I think you won't be disappointed but here's the thing that I, I will say as I start to get into spoiler territory is one of the things I loved about what they did with the show this season is that they didn't overdo it they didn't try to overdo anything especially as far as cameos were concerned they didn't try to overdo anything as far as you know easter eggs here and there they didn't really try to overdo anything now in this finale episode obviously we were a little easter egg heavy but that's okay because it's your it's your last episode of your first of what will hopefully be many seasons of this new fraser iteration and you had the you know the dancing santa Right, you you had the dancing Santa that you remember from the old Frasier episodes that you know Frasier and Niles kept trying to destroy. That was a part of their childhood. So you had that. You also had Roz coming back, Perry Gelpin coming back to 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 play the character of Roz in a very in a very meaningful way. And I'll get to that here in just a second. But you if you also notice that the bar that Frasier and Roz go to, the bar that they go to, was named Mahoney's, a wink and a nod to John Mahoney who played Martin Crane, who was a Big a big part of this finale episode, without even actually being in it, because Frazier's you know a little down. He's he's missing his dad around the holidays because the holidays were his dad's time, right? This is when his dad he loved Christmas when he was the happiest, right? So so he starts to miss his dad and he starts to you know wonder where his life's going as he's even as he's throwing this Christmas party and it seems like he's getting kind of everything he wants in life, right? And things are going well with Freddy, although they certainly didn't go well with Freddy in the beginning of this episode anyway. But Freddy knows, he says he's got this great gift for his dad, and it's going to, you know, make up for everything sort of thing. So <clears throat> it's, it was just, it was a very interesting way to start out the episode. And of course, the gift ended up being, you know, Roz coming for a visit and saying that, you know, she, he just needed a visit from an old friend and they start to reminisce and and things like that about about Martin and just Frazier's life in general, where he's at and where things are going and stuff like that. So it made sense that you know, of course, it's going to be Roz that comes in to cheer Frazier up, right? And and it just and it brought him and Freddie closer together as well. And you you, you sort of find out and, and Roz sets Frazier straight, right? Because that's kind of what Fra- Roz always did. Roz was there to set Frazier straight at times, and that's kind of what he really needed in this particular episode. And then it's it's also, you know, Freddie trying to help his way through his own trauma in, in a way and, and kind of acknowledging that that it's still there. Right. And, and that's something that we kind of touched on very early in the season. But it, it, they kind of went away from it a little bit later on in the season. And then they bring it back towards the finale about, you know, with him, him missing his grandfather and, and the things that come with that. And then, of course, Eve and her her first her first Christmas without her 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 boyfriend, her fiance, who passed away, the father for her child who passed away. So there was some deep stuff that happened in this episode. But also, you know, there's plenty of fun to be had because, you know, the crane party disaster Curse, you know, reared its ugly head again. I guess you could call that another Easter egg for the show, but then they brought back you know some of the characters that we've seen throughout the season. And they we we had some meaningful roles there as well. Yeah yeah you, you had Moose and Olivia have their little moment in this episode. You had David being David and kind of, and there was a great David and Freddie episode in this in this season too where where David gets his first B and freaks out about it and, and and turns out the Freddy tries to help him. Get an A again, or, or or fix his paper, or whatever. But he doesn't tell his dad because he doesn't want his dad to know that he still, you know, has his smart kid roots, sort of thing. Because you know the whole dropping out of Harvard thing is still fresh in everybody's mind. But I, I and I don't want to I don't want to kind of go through every little part of this season. I did I did enjoy Lilith coming back and B.B. Newworth and the fact that again spoilers here. When they start making out on Freddie's bed and Freddie catches them, that was a hilarious part of the season. But you know, and and the way they fought for their son's affections and and realizing that what they were doing was you know more damaging than anything else was was really interesting as well. And I, one of the one of my favorite episodes though was the blind date episode. This season where Freddie and Frasier can't tell whether or not this date is there for for, for one or the other of them. And they sort of start to compete for this woman's affections. That was really funny. There were just so many clever ways to make this season funny. And make it feel like Frasier. But at the same time, make it feel like something completely new. And it did. It really did feel like something completely new. And that's a testament to... To why Kelsey Grammer waited to come back to this thing in the first place, and I, people asked somebody asked David Hyde Pierce in a recent interview. I think it was, it was with the LA Times. I and forgive me if I am wrong about that, but it, it was a, it was a recent newspaper interview with David Hyde Pierce, and he said, you know, one of the reasons I came back was you know it didn't feel right, and it at, at the same time it was like, okay, well it, I I I've watched it and they kind of didn't need me right they didn't need me there and that was in a way that was true it would have been weird to just have niles there for the sake of niles showing up or even daphne there for the sake of daphne showing up it wasn't at that point it just didn't make sense now could it make sense somewhere down the line maybe but what they did in this season was they focused on freddie and his relationship with fraser they focused on fraser's you know quest to become something more at Harvard, it focused on Eve and how she fits into Freddie's life. And is there something there, maybe? And and that's something that seems like it was kind of not shoved out in front because I thought they were going to go that route. And it, and it seemed like that wasn't the thing to push at the time. But there's winks and nods there that maybe there's going to be something between Freddie and Eve at some point. So I thought that that was interesting. And, and you know, David trying to come into his own and get out of the crane shadow. And he and Freddie had a moment about that. The character of Alan who plays by Nicholas Lindhurst and who I think actually is actor wise did a great job in the show. I still kind of feel like that's the character in this, sh- in the show that I don't know that they've found his place yet. I mean, obviously he's the, he's supposed to be, you know, the, the big lovable comic relief in this show, but that's kind of, it's almost like he's, they're trying to have him play the Martin role a little bit. Where he's a little, you know, except you know a much more alcoholic version of Martin, but they've they've kind of got him in this role of, you know, he's trying to he's it's almost like they make him try too hard to be funny sometimes. If any if the show tries too hard too hard at anything, I think it's trying to make Alan too over the top sometimes. Is kind of where the show can can go off the rails a little bit. But I still enj- I still enjoy the character. I still think he's funny. I just think that sometimes. You know, you know they they try to overdo it just to get some over the top funny into this thing. But I think that they've built a good foundation for this show to move forward. And it is, it, it's 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 the the rebirth of the traditional sitcom because it's exactly what this felt like. And I don't feel like we've gotten a whole lot of that recently, right? I know. I mean, I know people like Brooklyn Nine Nine and Modern Family did a pretty good job of being a sitcom, but. Even that kind of got out of its own sitcom, you know, the wheelhouse at certain times. And there's some good comedies, but the traditional sitcom, which was so successful for so long, we haven't really seen anything like it recently until this. It feels like Frasier is the rebirth of the traditional sitcom. And this finale just proved that. So if you haven't streamed the first season of Frasier on Paramount Plus yet, I highly recommend it. And and that's somebody who loves the original series. And I'll probably always love the original series more and that doesn't mean that this is it does and that doesn't mean that this is bad and I wouldn't even really compare the two honestly it just means it's different and this iteration of the season of the of the show definitely deserves to have more story told because there's so much more room for these characters to grow and these storylines to grow and quite frankly I'm excited to see what might come up with that that's gonna do it for my kind of spoiler ish e review of the first season of fraser the 2023 version on paramount plus up next yeah there is a very not surprising piece of nerd news to talk about but also some really interesting things in between as well, we'll get to that next i'm james with and this is the down and nerdy podcast
1: greetings adventurers today we're excited to introduce you to a new story
0: You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One major event has gone the way of Jacob Marley. It's time for nerd news. And maybe the least surprising announcement that you're going to have is that E3, yes, the video game expo, the big convention, used to be a huge deal, is now Dead and gone. E3 officially announcing the organizers of the event on social media that the event is no longer going to be happening, thanking fans for many years and memories and blah 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 and all that stuff. But this event has been dying a slow death for what seems like the last five years. It just it for so many years it became less and less relevant because everybody started doing their own thing. Microsoft started doing their own thing. Sony started doing their own thing and then all of a sudden you had you know like Bethesda and even Ubisoft started to do their own thing Nintendo always did their own thing or at least in the the last almost decade they decided to do their Nintendo Direct thing anyway and before it was just a it was kind of just a press event right to kind of showcase your new games and things like that but then it became the, the there was they finally started to let fans in and fans got to experience it. And then, of course, the pandemic, that didn't help. And that didn't help anybody. I understand that. And I don't want to go back to the pandemic blame game thing. I think we do that enough. I certainly don't need to harp on that. But this thing, even without the pandemic, I think E3 was on shaky ground no matter what. And and that's the thing. It, it, it didn't have to be. That's the crazy part about this thing is they could have done this right. But E3 had so many things going against them the fact that they streamed the whole thing i loved i always loved being able to cover it remotely because i never actually went to e3 i'd always cover it remotely the press conferences and things like that and that was always fun i love the fact that they made it accessible for people that weren't able to go there and fans that weren't able to go there and even people like me who were trying to cover the thing that couldn't go there but at the same time i think that everybody kind of looked at each other at one point and said why aren't we just doing this ourselves and doing it when we want to do it instead of having to bump it up against all of these other press conferences and pre- presentations and stuff like that and being around competition it made it so there was more of a reason for them to be judged at the same time was it a good chance to showcase your games and say hey I'm better than you yeah it really was because there was always e3 winners and losers right but here here became the other problem of this whole thing is that you started to notice that at E3, we were seeing the same games over and over and over quite a bit, and stuff was getting delayed, or there were bugs and other things like that, or stuff was getting announced, and then you weren't hearing about it until two or three years down the road, and I always go back to Cuphead as the example of that, right? Like, where the hell was that thing? And then when it finally came out, it was awesome, but of course, that was like, you know, four or five years after it actually debuted at E3 for the first time, and it was, and it, was what it became was a highlight of the video game industry not getting games out when they originally said they were going to be getting games out. So that, again, put some added pressure on that and added scrutiny onto that whole industry. And it's like, why the hell would we do that? So then you're playing your own thing when you know You're going to have these announcements to make when you know you have these things that you're going to be able to do, and at least you have a reasonable certainty that this will be able to come out at this particular time, right? So you're not saying... And E3 was at the same time every year, and everybody had to have their shit together by then to be able to present something. And if you didn't, you did what you could, and you left there hoping fans were happy. But when you do your own thing, you could schedule it whenever the hell you want, and it doesn't matter right? So you can make sure you have stuff that you're going to be able to announce that you know is going to either come out in the calendar year, or you know this is going to be the release date for it, or at least least you have a reasonable expectation that this is going to be the release date for it. And especially if you're doing a console reveal, then you can really do a deep dive. Then you can really pre-produce a lot of stuff. And again, do this at a time where you know you can announce a release date. For said project or at least when you know you've got your specs ready instead of having to rush to get to a specific event a specific timetable which you should still be able to do but at the same time the fan expectations are going to be a lot le- are are, are going to be a lot less shaky if you're able to do your own thing and schedule it when you know you're ready as opposed to being ready for E3 because there were plenty of times where you could just tell certain outfits were just not freaking ready for e3 at all and it showed quite a bit so again i i am not saying that i won't miss it because there are certainly parts of it i miss and there was certainly an excitement level that came with it but at the same time i'm not surprised that it's gone i'm not surprised that it's going away I, i i think that this has been a long long time coming and I hope that these companies still start to do their own thing. I just hope the video game industry as a whole gets it gets their act together and and finds a way to present better games to fans in a more timely manner or at least, you know, don't announce something to me unless you know it's gonna be coming within the next year or two. And and, you know, keep people updated on, on on the progress of certain things as well. It's just certain stuff that just drives me freaking crazy about the video game industry. And E3 going away, I think will at least let people do their own thing a little bit better. And there's still other things like Pax East, Pax West. That kind of stuff will still happen. Gamescom will still happen. So it's not like there aren't things that aren't still going to be happening. But E3 just it just never found its footing back again. And yeah, it's definitely gone the way of the dinosaur at this point. Here's something that I was kind of surprised about: a merger that I didn't expect. And that is that McFarlane Toys has actually announced a licensing deal with Hasbro. Imagine that. So now you, you think that you know they're they're kind of competitors at this point, right? Different brands, obviously, but at the same time, now you're going to have McFarlane Toys then announced a multi-year brand, a multi-year and a multi-brand licensing agreement with Hasbro. So they're going to be producing page punchers for Transformers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, GI Joe, Dungeons and Dragons. And some other things as well. As a matter of fact, Transformers and G.I. Joe Page Punchers are going to be the first couple of things that they do. So, yeah, you're going to get that with the comics, which I think is really cool. I think that's if you're going to do something like this, you might as well do it. Now, nope, it's not going to be Marvel and it's not going to be Star Wars. I know that's exactly what you were thinking, right? Because, I mean, let's think about it. Obviously, DC is the main hub for McFarland. And if they had Marvel too, that would just be a little bit weird. Right. But I love the fact that what we're getting is we're, we're getting these companies that are, I, I still think, you know, competitors against each other, even though they're different brands. I think that what you're going to get here is it, this is an agreement that kind of works for both sides, doesn't it? McFarland wants to push their page bunchers line. And also you you've got, you've got Hasbro that wants to push their brands as well. And if they're able to do that in a way that they're not doing it now, Hasbro doesn't really do anything like this. So if they're able to do something like this now, it just makes sense. I also think that the timing is interesting because Spawn is an Image Comics product, right? And now you've got the G.I. Joe and Transformers comics that have moved to Skybound, which is, you know, part, you know, with with Image Comics as well. So they are they can kind of play nice and play ball with each other in that regard, so there is a connection there, and again, the Todd McFarlane connection with with the history of Image Comics and things there as well, I think, sort of helped make this deal happen. Now, I know that Power Rangers comics are, are through or through Boom, so that's a little bit different. But you know, just follow my logic here on this. And I think Dungeons and Dragons is what IDW. I think they do their comics, or it's Dark Horse. I can't remember, but again, I think that this is a good way to expand everybody's brand, make everybody happy sort of thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I think bravo to these two to to come to this agreement. I think it's going to be mutually beneficial. Sometimes these things aren't really. So I think that that this is something that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. And I can't wait to see the first reveals, see how they actually look and what size we're going to be talking about and things like that. So James Gunn, hard at work at Superman Legacy. You know, the, the casting announces becoming Fast and Furious and things like that. But James Gunn has really been chatting a lot about stuff. And he actually went on Threads. Yes, Threads is still a thing. And criticized what he called, and I want to quote this, cameo porn that's been happening in superhero movies recently. Saying that there's a deluge of cameos. And you can find for yourself... And and he actually says on threads, he says the whole point was not it, it was it's not a large film. I mean, not in terms of cast. It's normal for sing, single protagonist films to have other characters. Talking about Superman Legacy, much more unusual for them not to. And then somebody replies and says, finally, someone who treats characters is more than just having characters appear in screens for ten seconds to mark check boxes. And then Gunn says, I call that cameo porn. And it has been one of the worst elements of recent superhero films. Thank you. (laughs) That's all I have to say. I don't agree with James Gunn on everything. I know they can see him like that sometimes on this show. But this in particular, I could not freaking agree with James Gunn more. We have to stop throwing characters in there just to throw them in there. It drives me insane when we do that. So the fact that we're going to have a lot of different characters in Superman Legacy. We know that, right? We know that going in. But what we're also going to have is a purpose for them. According to James Gunn, that's what he wants to do. He wants to give them a purpose for characters like Hawkgirl and things like that. And of course, we have got Lex Luthor that's going to be in this thing. And I'm not going to go down the laundry list of characters that are going to be in this movie. But what I am going to do is tell you this. I'm going to tell you that James Gunn has always found a way to make his characters that come in make sense. Now, I know you'll say, well, what about Peacemaker, the final episode of Peacemaker, when you got Flash and and Aquaman that show up? Really the only time he did that, you know, and that was just, it, was that a cameo for cameo's sake? Of course it was, but at the same time, it, it it kind of made sense in the context of, you know, he's pissed off, Peacemaker was, that they waited that long to come and help in the first place. And he needed somebody to yell at, and they just happened to be there. So I think that that made sense. I wasn't mad about that at all. But I I think that this is something we definitely, definitely need to stop doing. Unless you've got a plan, unless you want to make it make sense, just don't do it. Because it'll make a certain subsection of fans happy, but then mostly it's just going to piss people off. Because then you're going to create... And what it does is it creates holes in your storytelling. To where people are going to go, well, where's character X, Y, and Z? Because they had a cameo, or are they ever coming back? And then they never do, and then people get upset about that. You're setting yourself up for people being upset. So, I'm glad that James Gunn recognizes that, and hopefully that's something we won't see in his version of DC Studios. This was a very interesting report from Deadline, as we wait for Captain America 4, Brave New World. I think it's still, still called Brave New World. Yeah, they actually finished... Most of their filming, almost all their filming, actually, before the strikes shut everything down. But now it looks like, ah, here comes the reshoot monster, because they've actually hired a new writer. Yeah, the movie's already done, and they're hiring a new writer. Doesn't seem like a good idea, does it? Matthew Orton, who worked on Moon Knight, is actually going to be taking the script over. There's going to be new material written for additional photography that's going to be happening here. Again, this is a, this is a report, you know, this isn't actually confirmed by anybody yet, but Deadlines, they, they usually nail it. Now, remember, we had Falcon of the Winter Soldier writers, Malcolm Spellman and Dallin Mus- Muson, who wrote previous iterations of the script that was part of this this story from, from Deadline. Now, when do these reshoots happen? Don't know, but it just seems weird that you basically filmed the whole thing. And this is not, you know, this is not completely uncommon. It's not like reshoots have never happened before. But at the same time, you kind of go, okay, well, let's do these reshoots. But it's not you don't hire necessarily new writers to do this very often, right? So it's almost like you saw what you had and you went, ah, eh, I, I don't know. This I think we I think we need something extra. That's not always a good sign. Hopefully, this means they're 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 realizing something about this movie and are getting ready to fix it pretty quickly. Let's just hope it's that. But that again, this kind of makes me really really nervous about what the future's going to be for this next Captain America movie. I wanted to throw in this other Mar- Marvel nugget before I get to a few trailers. Apparently it was announced in a in a comicbook.com interview with Brandon Davis about What If Season 2 that we're going to be getting a new animated Black Panther series. It's going to be ca- called Eyes of Wakanda. Now, there were no details, no casting announcements, anything about that. Very little is known about this thing. But we do know that it's going to be released in 2024 at some point. That was kind of teased as well. And it's going to be right around the time we get X-Men 97 and Spider-Man freshman year. So those are other animated series. So it looks like Marvel trying to dip, it, dip its toe into the animated realm a little bit more. And I'm not I'm not mad at the idea of, it, of exploring Wakanda a little bit more and having a Black Panther animated series and what they could do with that. I don't think it'll be based on the what-if version of Black Panther. I, I mean, that'd certainly be interesting but i don't know they're necessarily going to go that route i I think that this this could be a fun project again but also is this a let's just do this for the sake of doing it type thing too that's the that's the other thing that makes me just a tad nervous if i'm looking at this but hey another black panther project could be cool so I'll, i'll at least keep an open mind until i find out more story details a few teaser trailers and trailers that i want to talk about first i want to talk about if which is a paramount kind of animation, live-action hybrid movie that's going to be coming out in May of 2024. Ryan Reynolds going to be a part of that as well, and this is in, in IF kind of stands for imaginary friends, and it's basically a thing of what if all imaginary things actually existed and came to life, and the teaser trailer is really, really interesting because Ryan Reynolds is going to be starring in this movie, John Krasinski. This actually comes from the mind of John Krasinski. You've got Kaylee Fleming, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Steve Carell, a bunch of big names that are going to be a part of this thing. And it's about, basically, imaginary friends that have been forgotten by the kids that don't believe them in them anymore. So now you've got Ryan Reynolds and his young companion that are set out to save the world of these imaginary characters. And I'll be honest, this is a pretty fun freaking idea. I like this. And you see all of these different, you know, crazy-looking imaginary characters. One of them is just, like, this big, bluish-purple monster. Then you've also got, like, almost like a a weird-looking doll. Then you've got, like, there's a marshmallow at one point, like a melting marshmallow type of thing. It's really neat and really interesting. And you've got, you know, Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds in this movie, for lack of a better way of putting it. You've got some of that. You've also got you know just the, just the charm of the fact that you're dealing with imaginary friends here as well this is a good idea and this could this is something that could actually be a really neat and unique movie and i really hope that they don't screw this up because i think this is something they could have they they could I don't and i don't want more of these right i think this is one of those things you could do it well do it once and don't try to go back to that well again this feels like a perfect one-off type movie. I feel like, you know, there's this pressure to make sequels for everything and this just feels like it could be such a great encapsulated story. I hope they don't try to force making this a sequel or something that has to have a sequel unless it makes sense, right? Unless they don't feel like they can tell the story fully in one movie. I hope we don't have to get a second one of these. I just hope it's perfect just the way it is. So this is something that could look really, really fun. May of 2024. That's when we're going to see if from Paramount Pictures, Eddie Murphy is back as Axel Foley as Beverly Hills Cop. Axel F going to be coming to Netflix in the summer of 2024. And yeah, it, at first it looks like it's a little bit more, you know, gritty. Right, you you see the grittiness and the action at at first with Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley and stuffs blowing up and cars and explosions and all this different stuff, but this is where you know his daughter's life actually gets threatened in this thing, and she teams up with her dad as as and and with a new partner who's played by just Gordon Levitt, and you get some you get you know some familiar faces in there like Judge Reinhold is back in this thing, you get John Ashton is back in this thing. As well, and you see other familiar faces pop up here and there, but then you sort of start to see Axel becoming Axel, and you see you know the the comedy slowly start to work its way in. So the action definitely is going to be there. The comedy looks like it's going to sneak in there when it has to as well. So I I, again, I think is this a movie that needed to be made? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out soon enough. But am I down for another Beverly Hills Cop movie? Yeah, because I loved him. Well, I loved one and two and three. Meh. Three was okay. But yeah, if Annie Murphy's back, I'm down to see where this goes. So yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, Axel F going to be coming, I guess, this coming summer. It says next summer, but I think that means this summer from Netflix. But, you know, with Netflix sometimes, who knows? And then finally, I also wanted to talk about the trailer for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Season 2. Going to be coming back to Disney XD on February the seventh, and yeah, Moon Girl things are getting a little bit more serious because they're talking about hey, you know, more big more big bads are going to be coming to this thing. She's going to be struggling with you know her superhero identity colliding with her real life and regular life and things like that. So yeah, let's just go ahead and say that this one's going to kick it up a notch in season two. I think everything that you loved about the first season is going to be there, and and it just looks like this is going to forward the story along even more so just to pop that on your radar season two of moon girl and devil dinosaur going to be happening February 7th on Disney XD. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to Mike Roth for joining me to talk about Mary little Batman, which is now streaming on prime video. Follow along at down and nerdy You can follow our socials there, find our link tree, all of that good stuff to go and find the podcast and find out where you can just subscribe all at down and Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.
1: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.